The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. This interview is dedicated to all those who seek learning and knowledge wherever it may lead them. It should and will open your mind not only to the dark side of academia and the way truth is suppressed, but also to a multitude of topics, historical, literary, scientific, and medical, on which narratives handed down by universities are found wanting. What is more, it should reveal organizational, political, and financial problems within universities that compromise research and teaching in pursuit of the truth. It is hoped that intrepid seekers of the truth will help spread the word about the way that unbiased research and teaching is currently under attack within the university systems of the world. Get ready for the dark side of academia, how truth is suppressed. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrich. From Professor Gloria Moss, my journey began with a degree in French language and literature, then one in medieval studies, and then degrees in the social sciences, including a PhD. My professional background was a training and development manager in industry before I moved full-time to academia, becoming a professor in the field of social sciences. Over an extended period of time, starting from the 1990s, the process of removing myself from the status quo gradually evolved with the realization that it no longer provided solutions or accounts of events or phenomena that match reality. This process was kick-started by the process of applying critical thinking to a number of topics that came my way. The process of asking questions opened up new vistas and made it apparent that society was not always welcoming of these insights. This produced determined efforts to map the new territories and restore critical thinking to areas of interest. This kick-started initiatives to establish new institutions, be they places of learning such as Truth University or publishing houses such as Truth University Press. And we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. The website is truthuniversity.co.uk and directly from London, England. I would like to welcome Professor Gloria Moss. Hello, Professor, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hi, Mel. I'm very well. It's, it's good to be with you on your show. Thank you. And I know it's late in London, so I appreciate your presence here today. May I call you Gloria? Please do, yes. Well, Gloria, I've been immersed in your work for the past few weeks. A lot of the publications and the publishings from from your website, truthuniversity.co.uk, are very on the forefront of things that we discuss in this program, especially the censorship of truth and academia and so many other topics that I'd like to discuss today. It's going to be a plethora of things, but I read your bio. Why don't you tell us how you get to where you are now, someone that came from academia 
and all of a sudden you can critically think and step outside that very strong box where you were part of for years? Well, that's a really interesting question. And I, I would just say it at, at the outset that I'm not a dyed-in-the-wool academic. That may have something to do with uh, the fact that I, I have a tendency to question. Um, first part of my career was spent actually in industry, uh, in human resources, on the training side, training and development. And that's helping organizations become really effective and helping the people within them flourish. And that was fine and dandy and interested me until certain questions popped up in my mind, um, for which there weren't answers at the time. And, for example, I, I was one weekend visiting a watercolor exhibition and I walked around and the catalogue was expensive, so I didn't buy it. Uh, I just jotted down on a piece of paper the numbers of the paintings that appealed to me. Um, they didn't. None of the paintings showed the name of the painter or the price of the painting. So I just jotted down the numbers of the paintings that appealed to me. It was my personal shortlist, if you like. And then I sneaked to look at the catalogue. And to my surprise, I found that Virtually all of the numbers on my list related to paintings created by female painters. So I thought, well, maybe most watercolour artists are female. And curiosity got the better of me. So in the end, I bought this somewhat expensive catalogue and, and found, looking through it, two things. One is that actually uh, most of the artists were men, not women. And then I did a statistical analysis on my shortlist and discovered that actually what had happened that, that day when I my shortlist was made up largely of female artists was pretty freakish from a statistical point of view. So I thought, oh, maybe men and women have different styles of painting. And I, I went back and had another look at the gallery and I could start to see differences and I thought, well, there must be loads written about this because this was the era of men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Do you remember that book? Oh, I remember reading it when it came out in 1992. Ah, you remember the date even. Well, fantastic. Sure. So that dates my experience. That was pretty well when I had that experience. And I, I fully expected to find a full literature on this topic because people had looked at men and women's emotions. Had they looked at the, you know, how they how they, um, what's the word, um, imagined visuals. And I did a proper literature review and I found almost nothing, virtually nothing. Nothing on comparing the um, paintings or drawings or designs of, of males and females and certainly nothing comparing their preferences. And I was intrigued, you know. Um, I wanted to know whether I was freakish or whether this was a phenomenon as yet uncharted about the world. So that prompted my move from industry actually into academia. I spent many years researching this topic of gender and design, personality and design, nationality and design. How do these variables of gender, nationality and personality affect the designs that people both create and prefer? And 
20 years on, I have some answers to that question, but they, they weren't there before because nobody had done the research. So how did I set up out on this journey? I suppose accident is one way. Um, another way I found was spotting anomalies, finding that things didn't quite tie together. Uh, and I, I personally think that's a big trigger to a lot of the research that I'm interested in and many of the people on your program are interested in. The official views of things often don't quite stack up. And I know it's important to, to mention this. The book, most of the interview, I like to focus on many other things, but the the book, very important to discuss, The Dark Side of Academia. This is a professor who obviously wants to remain anonymous. Your your company is the publish, publisher of this book. Why is it so important for somebody today to, to keep himself or herself anonymous? Is it because of fear of retribution, fear of being let go from academia, or worse? I think it's all of those things, Mel. I, I think it's all of those things. I, I think many people would say that the system, if we can describe that the, the university system and the media system, is there to control information. And those people who seek to disturb the information that's provided do so to some extent at their own peril. And so people who, who want to uh, draw people's attention to failings in the official narrative are probably wise to do that on an anonymous basis. And anyway, we I think we're living at a time when many people would say that ego must be foregone, that we need to move forward with our higher selves and leave ego behind. So whoever's written this book does not need uh, the, um, the, the, the sort of praise or should we say opprobrium that, that some people might that might might be leveled at the book. You know, it, truth needs to be put out and the identity of the people who put out truth doesn't much matter as long as we know that the people who put out that truth have credibility. And the fact that, that this book is written by a secret professor tells us that the academic in question reached a certain status. It's not easy to reach the position of professor. So that tells the reader that the book is written by somebody who has some clout within the system. When it comes to science, science is all about observation, replication, and prediction. That is, to me, the distillation of what truth is all about. Why is academia trying to suppress the truth these days? Well, I, I talked about the system. I, I personally would see universities and academia as part of the system and perhaps no different from other parts of the system. A handmaiden, if you like, to other parts of the system, working closely with the, with the governments of the respective countries, working closely with international funding bodies. I mean, if you look at the Melinda, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for example, they're funding research across the world. Uh, um, universities are working with a multitude of governmental and non-governmental organizations. So when we talk about the suppression of information, 
it's not necessarily unique to them. It's just that it might come as a surprise to listeners that universities, which many people might think are bastions of learning and knowledge, are in the business of suppressing information. You know, <laughs> that, that, that might really occasion a bit of cognitive dissonance in some of your listeners, which is why this book needed to be written, because uh, according to the author, and this is one of the reasons we published it, things have reached a point probably of no return where things need to start changing in in quite a big way. And maybe I could refer you to two parts of the book in saying that. There's there's a forward to this book by somebody I believe you know well, John Hamer. Oh, sure. And there's an afterward by Dr. Tess Laurie, who, as many of your listeners will know, is founder of the World Council for Health, and she trained as a doctor. And what she writes in her afterward, I'll, I'll just read a bit from what she said. She said, after reading The Dark Side of Academia, I've come to the conclusion that critical thinking and genius have long been banished by these legacy institutions. And by that, she means universities. So just going back, she says she's come to the conclusion that critical thinking and genius have long been banished by these legacy institutions that are rotted to the core and now in need of dismantling before they do any further damage to young minds. And, and Tess Laurie, Dr. Tess Laurie, is a researcher herself and has a high citation ranking. So she knows a thing or two about research. And in her afterward, she expresses the view that universities are more interested in the size of the grant, the size of the funding, than in the subject of the research. And then if I could draw your attention to page 149 of the book, um, I'll just read you an extract there. It, it, it concerns uh, some of the links that universities have with some of these external organizations that have been mentioned. And one of the organizations, which is the focus of attention, uh, on page 149, is the World Economic Forum, the WEF, which is based in Davos, which is not an elected body and not accountable through the democratic process. And on that, uh, on the WEF website, is, you can find an article dated to 2020, which was authored by two professors. One um, professor from Queensland University, obviously Australia, and the other very senior person with the title of Pro-Vice-Chancellor and Development and External Affairs under his wing at the University of Oxford. So we have these two professors, one from Queensland University and one from the University of Oxford, who wrote an article that appears on the WEF website. And here is what they state, and I'm not going to read very much, but readers who are interested can perhaps, um, if they're interested, buy The Dark Side of Academia, the book, How Truth is Suppressed, and look up the reference in the book, and then from there go to the WEF website. What they write is as follows. They say, through their engagement, teaching and research, 
universities must redouble their efforts to work alongside corporations, governments, and NGOs as they search for new business models and policies to assist the Great Reset. Now, I don't know your reaction to that, that essentially they're saying teaching and research in universities is there to assist the Great Reset. That was my next question, because when you and I discussed this, you mentioned those words from the professor, that teachings and research are there to develop policies to enact the Great Reset. Yes, Why that, are these according to the professors at Queensland and Oxford University? And Oxford University has topped the league table, the Times Higher Education Supplement League Table of Universities, for a good number of years. Why so are these the number one? Why are these non-government organizations, the NGOs, why are they so pervasive now in crafting the script for our future? Uh, well, we you you well ask that question. Uh, why and should they be in that position? Because they're not accountable and the um, public has no power to bring them into being or indeed say that their performance um, is not up to scratch. They're unaccountable. So that's a very good question. Why? Well, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Well, even right now, even in the United States, and I bet you in the UK, most of the so-called experts behind the scenes, let's just pick on the CDC here in the United States, and uh, these are unelected officials who are totally unaccountable for their mm. actions. So mm. the politicians use them as the scapegoats, the people to blame in the event something happens. And we've been predicting this for the last almost three years that these people were going to present something without any facts. People were going to believe it. And this is something that I'm glad you're here today because we're going to be discussing why are people so impressionable? Why don't they see the truth? Why don't they engage in critical thinking? Those are very important aspects. And I think technology is being used for that. Even I believe in the book, it says that no longer are we going to go through language Uh, teachings because they find it to be of no value now that we have, you know, things apps like they reset a stone. So they're not going to need language anymore. No cursive. Cursive will be an ancient uh, language. If somebody in 50 years sees that, they'll be like, what is that? An ancient language. So why are they Mm -hmm. taking away the, the, the foundations of society and education? Well, yes. And you could argue that the objective for a long time has been to produce a population, not of philosophers, but of obedient workers. And in fact, that was Rockefeller's avowed objective in the early years of the 20th century, when he got involved in education. It was precisely that. And um, you could argue that it's business as usual now. I mean, here in the UK, the UK schools minister in 2015, somebody by the name of Nick Gibb, so he was minister in charge of schools, he described education as the engine of the economy. Now, that may be an aspect to education, but does that explain everything about education? Or or might you say education is there to enrich the, the individual, to widen their perspective, 
Um... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.